Yes, we are transitioned now to the other side of the bridge. And uh, uh, any listener and viewer will note that His Excellency made his remarks in flawless English. The number of Americans uh, who could do that, uh, if you round them off to the nearest even number, would be somewhere around zero. There are more than 500,000 uh, citizens of the six GCC countries who have obtained a portion of their higher education at uh, one of America's 2,968 universities there. Uh, the number of Americans who have obtained their four-year uh, undergraduate or graduate education in the GCC countries Again, rounding them off to the nearest number is zero. So and there's no, no balance, no symmetry in terms of the educational component of our relationship. Um, but the best and the closest we can have of being on this bridge at the American end is uh, Mr. Joey Hood, who has spent most of his career and the entities and principalities of East Arabia and the Gulf. Uh, he is the principal deputy assistant secretary of state for Near East Affairs. And so uh, this in the language uh, jargon, uh, slang of uh, official uh, terminology, he's the, the PDAS, <laughs> the principal deputy assistant uh, secretary. And uh, this is as high as one can uh, obtain in the U.S. Foreign Service as an Arabist, short of becoming the uh, Assistant Secretary of State for Near East Affairs. So Mr. Joey Hood uh, has this uh, position. And what does he bring to the table? Uh, he was formerly the Deputy Chief of Mission at the United States Embassy in Baghdad former uh, deputy chief of mission at the U.S. Embassy in Kuwait. And those who are not foreign service professionals or foreign affairs practitioners, or maybe to be understood for not understanding that the person who really runs the embassies and to whom the day-to-day -day trust of administration and management and direction is placed <coughs> is the Deputy Chief of Mission. So Joey Hood has had this position in Iraq. He's also had it in Kuwait. And he was also the principal officer. Indeed, he was the Consul General at the U.S. Consulate General in Lahran, Saudi Arabia, which is the nerve capital, the epicenter uh, of the hydrocarbon uh, fuels industry uh, on a global uh, scale. And in addition to that, uh, he has served in Yemen, uh, as well as Qatar, and uh, was for a time the director of Iranian affairs in the U.S. Department of State. What more can one ask uh, to come at these issues and to be a fitting counterpart uh, to His Excellency uh, Dr. Nayib Hadroth than Joey Hood, Mr. Hood. Thank you, Dr. Anthony, uh, for that generous introduction. 
and ma'ali alamin al-am assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh i hardly see myself as a fitting counterpart for his excellency but um i will do my best to play the part uh for the us government here um i think both of you have hit on a couple of themes that i would like to uh expand upon a little bit here um i am unlike you i am not going to talk about uh what might come for uh a different administration um that's not my role but uh i think it would be useful here to talk about what some of our enduring interests are in the region uh that have uh been there for decades and i think will remain for decades more uh and because e even as his excellency said uh, we're fighting uh the pandemic uh and while we do that we continue to pursue our interests we have not allowed ourselves to be derailed from countering the malign influence of iran uh pro promoting stability with our partners uh by ending regional conflicts and by ensuring prosperity uh i would also add to that addressing the largely negative role that some other uh global pow powers like china and russia are beginning to play in the region but let me start with iran uh it's our top policy priority to counter iran's malign influence it has been for decades now and it will remain that way until we can convince tehran to simply behave like a normal country we're not looking for perfection we know that that's not something of this world but to paraphrase henry kissinger we want them to act more like a government and less like a revolution uh because we've seen what the exportation of that revolution so called looks like it's chaos it's human disaster in places like syria and yemen and increasingly lebanon as it attempts to undermine state sovereignty in those places as well as in iraq the current situation there shows a lot of the damage that iranian backed elements can do uh they routinely engage in widespread theft of iraqi state resources they assassinate and kill iraqi civilians all the time including yesterday when they launched 122 mm rockets and ended up killing uh an iraqi child for what to make a point about revolution well to combat this we've been working closely with the iraqi government and the iraqi people who have stood up more and more to say enough of this if we succeed it's going to help all iraqis not just sunni arabs or kurds but also shia arabs and christians and yazidis who will have a chance to thrive again in what is a very special land for those religions it will mean that the gulf states will no longer have to live in fear of iranian threats and violence it would help prevent famine in yemen and enable a political so solution to that conflict it would mean a more secure israel which would reap the benefits of regional cooperation and integration for everyone it would mean a truly independent and sovereign lebanon free from the influence of the terrorist group hezbollah so you can see why far beyond the nuclear program we are working hard 
to counter that malign influence because we see what could be done in the absence of it. There's no better example of that than the Abraham Accords. The UAE and Bahrain have already, just a few weeks uh, after signing these, opened up telecommunications, financial transactions, active air corridors. We're seeing investors taking advantage of these openings. We had a uh, senior visitor uh, recently to the UAE he was having breakfast in his hotel. And he said, I was just so surprised uh, as I listened into the conversation at the table next to me, it was in Hebrew. <laughs> this is a massive change in a very short period of time. We can't discuss the progress we've made on regional integration, though, without uh, talking about the work that we've done to encourage our partners to overcome the rift between Qatar and the other Arab nations. Resolving that rift is one of our highest priorities and will remain so until it is, it is overcome, because resolving it is crucial for facilitating closer economic cooperation, political cooperation, everything that we want to do uh, really depends on resolving that rift. Across the region, we're supporting the UN as a uh, trusted broker to try to end the uh, conflicts in Syria, Libya, and Yemen, because those conflicts radiate instability. And it takes a unified approach to bring all people to the negotiating table. In Syria, we and the majority of our international partners share the view that there will be no normalization or reconstruction until there is irreversible progress on UN Security Council Resolution 2254. Likewise, in Libya, the UN is doing a fantastic job under the leadership of Acting Special Representative Stephanie Williams, who has done the impossible in bringing uh, Libyan sides all from the battlefield to the negotiating table. I say it's virtually impossible because look at how internationalized that conflict has become. You have Russian mercenaries backing Sudanese fighters supported by Emirati drones battling it out with Turkish-backed Syrians for influence over Libya. I mean, this is just crazy. We've got to find a way for the Libyans themselves to come to a solution uh, that is political because there is no military solution there. And as the Libyans themselves all agreed in these recent talks led by Stephanie Williams, uh, all foreign forces need to leave the country and let Libyans decide on their political way forward. We are supporting all of this through our diplomacy. We are supporting the Libyans through our donations, almost a billion dollars since 2011 to help them survive uh, and uh, move along the path to peace. In Yemen, we're also supporting the United Nations and the special envoy there. Uh, we're also the country's largest humanitarian donor with over $600 million in support this year alone. Although the Houthis are obstructing and refusing to uphold international principles. So we have been forced to curtail some aid to areas under Houthi control, but we have continued all life-saving and critical assistance. In Lebanon, like in Yemen, Iran and its allies are preventing stability from taking hold. As we now see yet another attempt to form a government 
it's clear that whoever leads Lebanon cannot proceed with business as usual. They have to undertake meaningful and sustained reforms to restore international confidence in Lebanon and unleash the Lebanese people's enormous creativity and, and potential. That's why we're determined to push back on Hezbollah because it puts its own interests ahead and those of Tehran ahead of the Lebanese people. Moving from the region's worst disasters to perhaps its most hopeful case uh, in Tunisia, we've invested more than a billion and a half dollars of assistance to help them since 2011 as well. And we've supported as part of that small and medium enterprises for economic growth. So it may surprise you to learn that just in the last four years, uh, we've helped, we've become the number one export destination for Tunisian handicrafts in the United States, which is a great thing. And now I'll wrap up my comments by talking about my, uh, my second home, which is the Gulf Cooperation Council countries. Our 75 year partnership with the Gulf countries uh, continues to grow. If I look just prior to the pandemic, building on what Dr. Anthony was saying about the students, um, we had 100, over 160,000 American citizens living in the Gulf, probably more because they don't all register with the embassies. Saudi Arabia was among the top 10 countries in the world sending students to the United States. According to my own personal calculations, Kuwait, under the leadership of the late Emir Sheikh Sabah Lahmed, sent about 10% of all its high school graduates to the United States to study every year. Our commercial ties were equally impressive. In 2019, nearly two thirds of all US exports to the Middle East and North Africa went to the GCC countries. And that together amounted to more than what the United States exports to Brazil, France, and the entire continent of Africa. It's tremendous. Uh, we've seen beyond the Abraham Accords, we've seen some really interesting developments over the past few months and years as well. The UAE, joined the Artemis Accords, which is an international partnership led by NASA that will explore the moon and Mars. Can you imagine 30 or 40 years ago talking about that, that we would be partnering with the UAE to go back to the moon? Or can you imagine even five or 10 years ago, any of us saying that Six Flags would be investing in Saudi Arabia to build amusement parks? Uh, you know, we're proud to be participating in Expo 2020 Dubai as well. We'll welcome millions of visitors. Uh, but this is just the sort of thing that we do uh, on a regular basis with the GCC. And it's mainly because we have those shared interests that His Excellency talked about, but also because of those people-to-people -people ties that I just reviewed. When you have all of those students, you have all of those people living and working and getting married with each other, uh, it's inevitable that our ties will continue to grow on the economic front, the political front, and every front you can imagine. I'm optimistic that as we emerge from this pandemic, those ties will be stronger than ever, and our relationships in the Gulf and the broader Middle East will be a bulwark against global threats as they, has, they have been for 75 years and an engine for growth and human development. I'm optimistic. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for the honor of being with you today. Shukran. Yeah.
Thank you, uh, Mr. Hood. Uh, you lived up to and even went beyond what we had hoped and expected. Uh, it's difficult at a time of such uncertainty and uh, transition, uh, not even being defined uh, in terms of its uh, components fully or to the satisfaction of people who would like to have their anxieties uh, allayed or assuaged. Um, but you're right, who 30 years ago would have imagined that the United States and one of the GCC countries would be mooning together. Um, <laughs> so this uh, is uh, indeed progress and uh, lightens the uh, aspect uh, of the relationship. Uh, thank you, sir. And uh, God bless you and your team. Uh, we're more comforted than would have otherwise been the case knowing that uh, people like you are at the helm day-to-day -day, uh, working uh, to strengthen and expand the positive side of these relationships and to protect all of that which we have achieved and to sit together and envision uh, the visions uh, that Kuwait has, 35, Saudi Arabia, 2020, and Oman and Qatar, and all the others have their visions too. But a key component to those visions is uh, working with the United States, cooperating with the United States, and the United States not just uh, working and cooperating bilaterally uh, with these countries, but multilaterally uh, through the GCC in Riyadh, uh, which represents all six of the GCC countries, and trying to have a consensually uh, arrive to uh, accord on priorities. As His Excellency said, security and stability. Uh, without security, one's stability is in peril, uh, in dire straits, not just the Hormuz straits, but straits of another kind. And without security and stability, uh, how can one achieve, let alone maintain and sustain uh, peace and without security, stability, and peace, how can one realistically speak to one's children that we're doing everything possible, humanly and otherwise possible, uh, to achieve a future that can be described as prosperous, uh, an era of prosperity? Thank you, sir.